people of God, listen then to the word of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to have the same mind in the Lord. And so yes, I ask you, my true companion, to help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, just along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, all whose names are in the book of life. in Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious in anything, but in everything, with by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or seen in me or heard from me, put these things into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your, uh, your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Uh, I do not say this because I am in need. I know what it is to be, or for I have learned to be content in all circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in need. I can do this in all... I can do this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, from your early acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are here with me greet, send you greetings. All God's people send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. 
be to God. <laughs> There's something that I have wanted to do every week as these amazingly brave and courageous uh, people uh, do this in front of us all is I have wanted to clap so badly. And so because we've come to the end of our, um, our memorization work with Philippians, I want us all to just applaud every single memorizer who's come forward. Let's give a round of applause. Thank you to each of you who memorized and stood here and declared and proclaimed the word of God to us all. So thank you very much. Then I also want to issue a challenge. Some of, our, some of our best memorizers are our children because they do this on a regular basis. So my question for you as adults is when was the last time, and if you have memorized any of Philippians for this, you, you don't get to raise your hand, when was the last time you memorized scripture? Or like, have, have you memorized scripture in the last year? Okay. Our challenge to you out of this, having seen everyone tuck little parts of Philippians into their hearts over the past few weeks, is I challenge you, we've read through the whole letter of Philippians, is to pick a verse that is meaningful to you, that jumped out to you, that sticks with you, and memorize it. Walk away from this sermon series having tucked away a little bit of Paul's letter to Philippi in your heart. So that maybe, if we ask this again, later this year when we're doing maybe another series like this and we're memorizing more, we're gonna see everyone's hands go up and say, I have indeed put part of God's word in my heart this past year. Is that an okay challenge to issue to you all? Are you okay with that? Okay, even if you're uncomfortable with that, you can do it, right? We have all shown that we can do this. So, challenge to you, out of the brave and courageous people who stood up here and proclaimed God's word from memory, is to take a little verse, do that for yourself, and tuck that away in your heart, okay? Okay. This morning, we are concluding Paul's letter to the Philippians. We have listened and read um, every single word, and now we're ending by focusing on one little nugget from this ending portion of Paul's letter. Don't be anxious about anything. The end of Paul's letters follow a form, for the most part, similar to the beginning. There's usually a form and a structure to how Paul ends his letters. And it's usually a bit of a catch-all section. And it can be littered with last-minute instructions or just a litany of names and people to say hello to, greetings. He kept it pretty short in this letter, just to Caesar's household and to all God's people. In Romans, it's a list of like 18 individuals by name. And then he can also kind of reiterate his general message, give closing words of encouragement. And even in his, one of his letters to his protege, Timothy, he has uh, some health advice about bad stomachs and wine drinking. And here, at the end of his letter to his dear friends in Philippi, he nestles this, don't be anxious about anything. And he nestles it in between calling out two leaders who are in conflict with each other in the congregation, and as well as thanking them for their generous gifts in supporting his missionary work and his travels. 
And then he exhorts his beloved community of faith to not be anxious about anything. I wonder how his dear friends at the first church of Philippi received this command at the end of his letter when they came to the conclusion. And they would have heard it very similar to what we just did, read aloud to the community. Don't be anxious about anything, they hear Paul saying. And I wonder how they heard that because, well, I mean, they had some significant things to be anxious about. First off, Paul, who's writing the letter to them, is in jail. He's on death row. For many, he's the very first pastor who spoke to them of Jesus. And in their community, none of them were particularly well off in Philippi. And by becoming part of the church, their employment options diminished significantly because of persecution for being a Jesus follower. So a lot of people were out of work. It was hard, it wasn't easy. And then, also, two of their key leaders, Yodia and Syntyche, were at each other's throats, and it was tearing their community apart, fracturing into factions of who followed who. And to top it all off, there's false teachers spreading lies and misrepresenting Paul and misleading people in the congregation. And for this church, it is hard to discern what is best and what is true and what is right, and to where, <laughs> to know where God is leading them. And then Paul writes to them, almost like an afterthought at the end of his letter, don't be anxious about anything. I don't know how that hits you this morning. I don't know how it hit the Philippians, but maybe, maybe, when you hear that, you have a similar reaction that I did this week as I tried to listen to Paul. How can we not be anxious about everything? How can we not be anxious about everything? When, I mean, how can we not be anxious when my phone pings every single day, multiple times a day with another story of war or famine or hostility closer to home or homelessness? Or how can we not be anxious when we see our paychecks shrinking? Not because we're making less, but just because it buys less now. How can we not be anxious when someone we love hears some news and our lives are absolutely overhauled? How can we not be anxious when we kind of wonder if our jobs are going to survive that next round of restructuring? And how can we not be anxious when our community of faith is tinged with conflict and uncertainty and confusion and disagreement? How can we just not be anxious when nothing is quite like it was before? How can we not be anxious about everything? And how do we hear Paul's command, invitation, challenge, to not be anxious about anything 
as anything other than what seems like an empty command that's kind of impossible in our actual lived lives. The first church in Philippi knew Paul. They knew his story, they knew what he had gone through. They knew what he had gone through for them and on behalf of them. And we know Paul's story too. If you remember back to Sunday school stories of Paul surviving shipwrecks and snake bites and death sentences numerous times and beatings and untold number of squabbling churches in conflict with themselves. Paul is someone who is under no illusion of what following Jesus entails. He has seen the best and the worst of it all. Again and again. (laughs) And as he writes this letter, even as he writes these words of don't be anxious about anything, Paul bears the scars of close calls, of deep wounds in both his body and his soul. He is not unscathed by what life has to offer and what has been asked of him. So what can he possibly mean when he tells us, don't be anxious about anything? Well, for starters, he can't mean all anxiety or all care or all concerns because he's contradicting himself even in this very letter. Back in chapter two, Paul doesn't correct Timothy for expressing concern for the Philippians in the midst of their persecution. In other places in his letters, Paul expresses concern, anxiety over the churches he started and how they're doing and how they're faring and what they're facing. In the second letter to the Corinthians that we have, Paul names in his own list of suffering the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Obviously, Paul knew what it is like to be kept up at night with care and worry and concerns for those he loves, for the churches he leads, and the communities he cares for. And sometimes we leave this command, this invitation, this encouragement, just on its own. Don't be anxious about anything. We put it on mugs, we put pretty flowers around it, and needlepoint, it looks very pretty on Christian posters. But we miss how Paul frames this word of challenge, command, invitation. And I think when we see how he frames it, we get a glimpse of his pastor's heart-filled encouragement to his people. Right before his call to not be anxious about anything, he writes a short and to the point promise. The Lord is near. And then right after the command to not be anxious about anything, Paul follows those words of instruction with yet another promise. The peace of God which transcends all your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
And these two promises kind of act like a little promise sandwich (laughs) around this command. The Lord is near. The Lord is close to you. Do not be anxious about anything. Because the peace of God that is beyond your understanding is guarding your heart like a soldier on duty, watching over your heart and your mind and your spirit. Which I think is just another way to say, remember that you are not alone in this. Remember that you are not alone in this. And because these promises can be really difficult to remember and believe and trust, especially in the middle of the night when we are up and worried and concerned and we're just watching our clock tick on our bedside table from 3.13 a.m. to 3.14 a.m. to 3.15 a.m. and sleep seems like the last thing that is ever going to come to us and our minds are just treading through that cycle of fear and worry and anxiety and nothing seems right at 3.15 a.m. Nothing seems light, it all seems pretty dark. Unless, I mean, maybe you're a happy person at 3.15 a.m. and everything is like butterflies and sunshine. Not the case with me. (laughs) It's usually when your mind goes, let's think about all the horrible things that's possible, shall we? So what does Paul give us in those moments? He gives us a practice, a tangible practice that reminds us that we are not alone. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. In every situation, Paul writes, by prayer, by petition, grounded with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything. In Paul's time, there was a group of philosophers called the Stoics who taught that the key to human happiness, to kind of be even keel, to go through this life, the key to overcoming worry and anxiety and everything that kind of gets us off kilter, was detachment from the world. Just hold everything at arm's length so it doesn't touch you You're not gonna worry about it if you don't care about it. And so the way to stop anxiety and worry, just don't care so much. Be removed. Hold yourself apart. Depend on your own resources to get you through. And that is the key to human happiness. Nothing can rock you or hurt you if you keep it all at a distance. I mean, the influence of the Stoics is still kind of felt when we hear someone described as, like, he's, he's so Stoic, right? As if nothing rattles him, even though perhaps maybe it should. If you don't care about anything, you're not gonna worry about anything. And sometimes I think that kind of response is dangerously attractive to us. It is tempting 
It is tempting to retreat and to pull back and to push away and to say, I am not worried about that and I'm not going to care about that. It is tempting to do this. We do this in our relationships, we do this in our communities, we do this with things that are just almost a little too overwhelming for us and we push away. If you don't care about anything, you're not gonna worry about anything. And sometimes I think that temptation, we, we can actually use prayer like a stoic instead of like Paul as a tool to numb us against what makes us anxious. The idea that we can just pray about something once, throw it over there, let God, which sounds like an act of faith, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it to God, I'm gonna let God, and put it over there, and we can create distance like that. We can walk away and say, God's got it, don't care, God's got it, don't care. I don't care, God's got it. And we can sound pretty pious that way. <laughs> Paul's not asking us to pray like a stoic. Prayer is not mindless resignation to the way things are and pushing things away. It's active engagement with God about what we love and about what we care about and about what we are concerned with and about what makes us anxious. It is active engagement and not distance and detachment. Because unlike the Stoics, the reliance on themselves alone, Paul teaches us, and I think he models as a pastor in his letters, how to lean onto God's promises when we are anxious. Paul writes to his beloved community of faith, whom he loves and longs for, you can hear it in his words, my dear friends who I love and long for, my joy and my crown, they are beloved to him. And he is deeply concerned about them for valid reasons. They are hurt and they are wandering and they are lost. And he prays for them and with them. And he leans hard on the trust that God cares and loves him and his dear friends, his beloved community, even more than Paul does. And Paul leans on the promises of God that he is not alone in his care or his concern. He's not alone when he's under house arrest with a death sentence hanging over his head. And he's not alone when he wakes up at 3.15 a.m. worried about those he loves and longs for. And when Paul writes of God's gift of peace that transcends all of his understanding, he does so because he has felt that gift of peace in his bones and in the depths of his soul when he holds his anxieties and his concerns and his cares and his worries before God in prayer again and again and again. Paul's prayer for his dear friends in Philippi and for us is not that we live an anxiety-free life. 
detached and pushed away. His pastoral encouragement, instruction, is that in our anxious thoughts and fears, rooted in love and care, (laughs) that we trust that because God cares even more than we do, we can release some of that gnawing fear that keeps us up in the middle of the night. Because the God who cares is the same God who is near. The God who cares is the same God who hears and is with us in our anxious prayers, in our 3.15 a.m. dark moments. And the God who cares is also the God who gifts us with a peace that is beyond our understanding, that is beyond what our minds can grasp in its anxious little wheels, that is beyond our fears and beyond our anxious thoughts. Frederick Buechner writes that peace does not mean the absence of conflict, does not mean the absence of concern, but peace does mean the presence of love. Peace that passes all understanding doesn't mean the absence of concern or care, but it does mean the presence of love. So when your anxious thoughts overwhelm you, when your deep concerns for your beloved ones, your community, your friends, yourself, your family, when those come for you, may you lean into God's promises that you are not alone, that the Lord is near. And may you resist that stoic desire to stop caring in order to protect yourself. May you lean instead on the trust that God is a God who cares even more than you do for those you love, for your community of faith, for the world around you, a world he made. And when you pray, when you pray, with requests, petitions, cries, groans, thanksgiving, worry, anxiety. May you know the peace of God that is sheer gift (laughs) that transcends your own anxious ability to understand and find yourself firmly grounded in the presence of love. Don't be anxious about anything. Remember that you are not alone. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, listen to your children praying. Some of us find it easy to come before you with our needs and requests, with all of our cares and concerns, and we run to you with trust, 
knowing that you are a God who hears and you are a God who cares. And some of us, as your children, find it harder. We pull away and we run away and prayer is the last thing on our minds or on our hearts. So Lord, send your spirit. Send your spirit to draw us near to you. When our anxieties and our worries and our fears would drive us away, draw us to yourself, reminding us that we are not alone, but we are held by you, the one who cares more than we do for us, for our communities, and for the world your son died for. Lord, listen to your children praying and send us peace. Send us love. Send us grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.